everyone, and welcome to what I think will be a super awesome episode of Cisco Champion Radio. Woohoo! And as I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, pandemic edition, uh, which is going to be with us for a while, sadly. But we have someone who is helping us get through this. Today we have Larissa Horton, and she owns a, or is an executive for Cisco WebEx. And so I'm going to fangirl for a bit because WebEx Teams is like one of my favorite things on earth because I can always talk to the champions with it, but that's just my personal thing. Um, so Larissa, apologies for going all over the place, but who are you? What do you do? Well, hello to everyone. Uh, who am I? That is a very big question. Um, but let's just start with what I do right now. Uh, so I am uh, leading the WebEx strategy for all of CTG now. I was previously running WebEx teams, so excited to hear that it is a tool that you love and use uh, to connect. That is the goal, is to connect everyone around the world as much as possible. Um, but now in this new role of taking over CTG strategy, really looking at the entire portfolio from calling, meetings, messaging, devices, phones, contact center, really across the board. Um, how do we connect everyone internal and external? So excited to take that on. Um, and really, who else am I? Well, as I mentioned to you guys, I am a mom. So in case you hear some really funny noises, those are my beloved children in the background trying to join our podcast. You know, children are welcome because the, you know that's part of life now. And I'm actually glad because you that you talked about, you know, you're really helping folks communicate because that's what we all have to do. And we're doing it mostly from homes or from, you know, very strange places. So, but before we get into that, Andrew, why don't you tell us who are you? What do you do? Sure. So my name is Andrew West. I'm lead telecom engineer for Blizzard Entertainment. Uh, been in telecom collaboration pretty much all 26 years of my career, and I like laughing at Josh's jokes. That's pretty much what I do. You know, I often find it fun to <laughs> laugh at Josh. Um, but before we get to him, Aaron, who are you? What do you do? Well, I I would like to think that we're laughing with Josh, not necessarily at. It's, it's a little more collaborative and takes the vein of the episode, I believe. Um, so my name is Aaron Weiler. Um, I am a sales engineer for a large ISP in the United States. Uh, I am the technical liaison between my company and all the Fortune 50 and Fortune 100 companies uh, that we interact with on a daily basis. So you have been very bored the last couple of months, you know, just twiddling your thumbs, nothing big, right? Yeah, uh, I like to think that uh, Larissa uh, depends on me, whether she knows it or not. I know it. I do know it. <laughs> Thank you. I would say vice versa, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, right, totally. Before we, before we get me fired, uh, let's talk to our favorite person we like to make fun of. Josh, my dear, who are you? What do you do? Yay. Uh, I'm a solutions engineer uh, with a partner, which means I get to talk to a lot of customers about how we uh, adopt and do these cultural transformation things, uh, which is a big way of saying... Uh, it's a lot of fun, and I do make a lot of jokes about it. Awesome. And speaking of jokes and my ability to run a podcast, I forgot to ask everyone to introduce your Twitter handle if people want to internet stalk you. So, Josh, who are you on Twitter? I am at Warcop, which is my last name. It is not made up. Good job. Uh, Andrew, who are you on the Twitters? 
what am I now? I think I'm at, at Blue Box Red Box, which is my blog that I have going. Cool beans. Aaron? You can find me on all social media platforms at Aaron Engineered. There's a D at the end. That's create. That's great and creative, which kind of blurred into one word. And Larissa, uh, are you on the Twitters? I am on Twitter, and I'm nowhere near as, I think, creative as these names. It's just at Larissa underscore Horton. That's, that's great. That it actually makes it easier <laughs> to find you. So um, do you want to give us kind of like a high level overview? I know that we're, you know, we're going to talk about this crazy culture change we've seen, crazy, uh, you know, digital transformation that has been happening. You know, what's, what do you see? And obviously the need for security, but what have you been seeing the last couple of months? Uh, I think the last couple months was, you know, such a historical event in that it was a worldwide experiment none of us ever imagined running, which was sending every single person home and having to have them continue to do their job, uh, continue to provide for themselves and their families, uh, and in a way where the entire world was honestly not prepared. So we talk a lot about, you know, cases where you know, usage will grow or new customers will grow, but you never plan for the entire world. And so that was definitely a huge experiment. And in that, there was a ton of new ways that people had to work that I would say even many leader, leaders did not think was possible, right? There were many folks who said, oh my gosh, if I send my entire workforce home and just expect them to do their job without providing oversight and quote unquote managing them, um, I don't know if my business will continue on. And so there was a lot of that type of concern. So talking about cultural transformation, it is a huge cultural transformation to trust everyone to just do their job uh, without you seeing them and being able to manage them. So that was definitely huge. And, and in that, um, what does that trust entail? Well, and trust entails you also adopting whatever tools I give you to do your job um, and continue to talk to us and not just you know hide under a rock all of a sudden. Uh, so definitely a huge change there. Yeah, I know a bunch of the champions or a few of them have mentioned that they were trying to move their organizations to consider remote work. And then all of a sudden, boom, everyone was like, okay, I guess we're going to do remote work now. Um, and like, I think a lot of people are actually happy that at least they move forward. Yeah, when you don't have a chance or an opportunity for anything else, um, I think our, people are very open to it. And I think we learned um, how much we can change in such a short amount of time and how effective those changes could be, even if they seemed very scary at first. So that was definitely a huge part of that learning. Um, you know, we I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of customers and end users in these last couple of months to really dive into how are they doing, you know, at the core of you as a person, just like you asked us, who are we? Like, how are you doing? Are you surviving? How are things going? And with this partner ecosystem, it's really leveraging everyone's help to touch as many people as possible to make sure they are okay. Um, because it is, it was a hard transition, I think, for some folks. While others have come out of it, um, I think realizing there's just so many new and better ways to work. Yeah. Do you think uh, with this new transformation, do you think a lot of companies have been talking about not going back into the office, you know, and, and just adopting this remote work full time? Yeah. So I think we had folks who had started with, I'm going to just prepare for business continuity while the world is trying to figure out what we're going to do. 
And then they said, okay, this will be temporary. Let's plan for, you know, a period of time that will be work from home. And as I think the overall, you know, set of changes kicked in with regards to ability to potentially go hybrid and have part of your workforce go back and then maybe even go back 100% and then have to go back home, um, people started to really realize that our longer term plan has to include um, being able to fully work from home. And then they got into the financials of it, which is, wait a second, if we did have many of our employees not return, what kind of savings could we find in real estate? What kind of new talent can we attract? Because it doesn't matter where you live anymore. Um, a lot of, I think, new interesting ideas came from releasing the thought of we all have to be in one place at the same time just to get our job done. Why do you think that is, though? Because like I, that confuses me a little bit, right? Because WebEx has been around since 1995, right? Um, it's not new and it's just been around forever because it works and it works well. So and let's continue to innovate, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, the question then is, you know, the, yes, there is like tons of money saving and, and all these conversations are being sort of sparked, you know, in boardrooms and stuff everywhere. Like, Oh my gosh, look at all this money we can save by not paying for real estate. Why is that just now becoming a topic? Is it just because they're being forced to because of the work from home thing, like the whole pandemic? Or is it because, um, you know, it's just due time? Like, you know, what's the mixture there, do you think? Yeah. So we had, like I said, leaders who honestly could not imagine that this is a way that they would run their company. And we even got into the details of, but I love my corner office with my floor to ceiling windows. <sighs> I love the fact that, I am so proud of the building that we have, you know, built our business on. And there is a lot about being in that office and being your identity, I think, is tied to that and where you work. Um, this change proved to them that you could still be effective and you could still be in, you know, these very important, you know, deals and roles and situations and that doing that from your home is not necessarily any less professional or less attractive to your customer base. Um, if you don't live it, I think, or experience it, it's very hard to believe. And, and I will say that even for myself, prior to me joining Cisco, which was only two years ago, one of my biggest concerns was 90% of my team did not live in my time zone. I was like, okay, so how am I going to do this? Like I worked in a world where I drove to work every single day. I saw all the people that I worked with every single day. I didn't have a mental model of how to make it work. And then you live it. And now, you know, you have to pry my DX80 out of my dead hands or now my desk pro because it's just, this is how I work and I get things done and I love it. But until I experienced it, it honestly is hard to imagine that it could be a replacement to seeing everyone every single day. So I think it's that portion is now everyone was forced to experience it. I also think the overall change in consumer behavior, the fact that you also had to call people on video to talk to your friends and family during COVID changed the norm of using video hmm. and being on all the time. We frequently see that consumer norms then get brought into the business in a way that is adopted in at mass in comparison to you trying to make a change in just how people work, right? If it becomes part of everyday normal life, then you stop questioning why am I having to do this just for work, right? It's just how you 
interact with people. It's very normal now. Um, and not to say that there wasn't FaceTime before there was or other ways to do that, but yeah. it wasn't at, at the scale of every single person you need to talk to. You had to reach via video. So I think that was really the, the tipping point of making it part of everyday norm for everyone. Yeah. And I think there's also a tiny bit of like a, I don't know, physical learning curve for people. Sure. And I, I saw this in my husband who was always in the office, whereas I like have, you know, partially owned WebEx, et cetera. And I, and I did this myself when I started doing a lot of video calls is you're suddenly like exhausted. But as people have gotten used to it, you know, you, your body is like, oh, okay, this is something new, but I can handle it. I'll sit up straight more, you know, look into the camera more, talk to people. And like, I think over time people get acclimated and now they're seeing, oh, there's a lot of awesome benefits to this. What do you say to the companies out there? For example, where I work <clears throat> currently, or my last job was healthcare, where culture and sort of physical environment is so important to their identity. How do we address that? How do you see that being handled? Yeah, I, and I just so I'm clear, I'm not saying culture and physical environment are not important, but I think it is not the absolute necessary thing just to make a culture. There are so many other things involved in defining your culture. Um, and actually we took a lot from the gaming industry to look at how these virtual communities come to be. And they are so tightly knit as a community, right? There is an identity around the team that you're on, the people you talk to every single day. The question is how do we bring some of that virtual community into the workforce so that the team that is working on this feature can have an identity. They can have this common goal around what user problems are they trying to solve? What people around the world are they trying to connect? And, and why is that important to them? Um, so we have looked at how do you bring culture and camaraderie and all of the ways that people connect to build these high trust teams and environments into the workforce, even while everyone is in their homes, because we've seen that this paradigm works. I mean, I think, you know, I used to joke when I had many coworkers that played War World of Warcraft and they had met their significant others playing that game. And I was in shock. I was like, how could you meet someone who you're going to spend the rest of your life in a way that you've never seen them, you've never interacted with them in person? And I think even I, at that point, didn't necessarily value the quality of interaction that they were having in this virtual world, which then turned into a physical world. Um, I think similarly, we're all learning that you can have that same quality engagement and trust and relationship um, from from a video standpoint and, and where you work together, the physical buildings. Yes, it's it is wonderful and, and it's great to be able to have beautiful places to work um, and be proud of that. But it's a piece of the puzzle. It's not the most important piece. And I think that's kind of the shift that has happened, right? It's uh, we were we were doing a study on the buildings of, you know, uh, the Dio Star and various, you know, Wall Street buildings that are in, in downtown metropolitan areas and how that is an identity, right? You walking in there and being part of that is part of your identity. Um, and that changes when everyone is now at home and sharing their life and their their physical surroundings on a regular basis. It's not necessarily tied to just this building. Um, so we do have to reimagine how do you continue to bring all of that into your work, um, even though it's all from the comfort of your home and bringing now a little bit more of your personal life into it. That's crazy. Uh, I was going to. Yeah, I was going to say that it's crazy to think that, you know, while we may seem that we're more disconnected. We're in fact more connected. You could see things about me that you would have never seen before, which can be a little bit scary. 
um, depending on who you are as a person, I guess. And to, to use your like World of Warcraft sort of uh, story there, it's uh, you could almost argue that those people might know each other better because they are more comfortable like you know you, you know like dating and, and you know you're going out to a strange restaurant and meeting a stranger when you could just be sitting in the most comfortable place that you know which is right here in this chair at this desk that you spend 12 hours a day at whether you want to or not and now you're getting to interact with somebody it's like it just takes another like barrier out of it right plus it makes uh, remote dating uh, safer because you can see if the person who you're getting to know <laughs> lives in an actual dungeon, which is always important to know. That All right, is so, true. <laughs> and I actually really enjoy seeing other people's houses and stuff. Um, show, so we've talked a lot about how companies have evolved and the people for them, but how about, you know, have we seen what have you seen for the infrastructure and, you know, the, all the stuff that we do? Yeah, so I that was a very good question. I think um, we've seen many people make decisions faster um, around what are the tools that they need and how quickly do they deploy them. We had some customers that honestly had planned to take, you know, three to six months to make a decision and then another six to 12 months to actually deploy in a in a rollout that was very measured and making sure each batch of people were able to successfully adopt things and then they would slowly roll out to the rest of the org. Instead, we saw them make a decision in six days and roll out in actually about 12 days. And so, you know, like like if you look at the time scale, right, everything is happening so much faster. And at the very end of it, we had asked them, like, so how did it go? And they're like, shockingly well, like people actually <laughs> awesome. are really liking it and it's they're able to use it. And we've kind of just kept working and things are working well. We don't understand why we've always planned for this to be a 12-month thing when it just worked. Um, obviously, there was a lot of the other pressures in the situation, right? The the need to do your job, the need to move your business forward um, and in such an unknown situation. Um, but yeah, the adoption of technology has changed drastically. I think the other big one is the move to the cloud. We have many customers who have these huge on-prem deployments and investments that they've made. And yet to get to the full flexibility of work so that anyone can work from their homes or even while they're walking their dog in their neighborhood, you know, whatever that may look like, uh, they needed to make some changes with regards to their overall deployment and architecture. And they were at this decision point where do I invest more in my on-prem architecture to make it flexible in ways that everyone can use at all points in time, or is now the time to just move to the cloud? And we have seen many of them mm -hmm. make the latter decision, which is like, you know what? I'm not going to risk it. I'm going to just move everything to the cloud because I have no idea what the next 12 to 18 months will look like. I have no idea if hmm. I will be challenged again to get back, you know, on-prem into my building and I don't want to put folks on my team at risk. And in doing so, yeah. I'm just going to make the big decision now. And these are decisions that they had been planning to make already um, in the next, you know, maybe 12 to 24 months. And now they're making the decision and actually getting the deployment up and running uh, again, in a matter of weeks instead of months or even years in some cases. So that's another big acceleration that we've definitely seen. What a byproduct. It's it's like uh, the butterfly effect, right? I uh, didn't know that I was my company could be so agile. That's interesting. <laughs> um, why were we waiting so long to make decisions before? Uh, when like I guess the the best way to put it is necessity is the mother of all invention, right? You know, if you kind of have to, you're. I mean, what are you gonna do? Uh, it it is funny to to hear you say that 
there's a, a cloud strategy that's interweaved in there, which is, you know, we were probably going to move there. Um, but now we're, we're like focusing since everybody's at home on how we're going to get those people to access all of our data that's on-prem. So now I'm at another decision point. Again, the, the butterfly effect, right? It's like one little thing, I, I, not little, I shouldn't downplay it. Uh, one large thing, which is moving all of your, your workforce to the, to the home is causing so many ripple effects. And what has been so surprising to you? Because I know you mentioned a couple of things, but there's been companies like credit card companies like MasterCard or, or even like Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I, I just know from experience, they've always been in a, in a distributed model where they've been working from home. And, you know, they were going as far as like sending like gear out to, to the, the end user, right? I mean, these people are, are customer service representatives. They have no idea what they're doing with a router and where to plug it in even, right? So what separates those companies from the ones that you're seeing now because is it just that they realized that it was going to save them money that long ago and these other companies are just doing it just because they are forced to yeah so i think there's some companies that have historically done it just for pure cost savings right and so your ability to continue to attract talent and maybe in a area where there's high churn in your employee base it's actually maybe easier to actually um, hire and just have people work from home and ship out the things that they need, right? And so that's kind of one model we've seen in certain industries, certain verticals, that is a common practice. Um, what we've seen here is I think it's honestly partially out of fear in that we need to be prepared to continue to move our business forward. You know, the number of conversations I've had with executives where they were saying, I need to provide an update to my board, of what we are doing, how we are gonna survive, our business continuity, and um, what what we're gonna measure as a way to determine that we can have confidence that everything will continue to move forward and not come to a halt. And so when you're having those kinds of conversations, you have to lean in forward. You have to lean in into you know all of these things that you had already planned to do. I, I think you, you started with something else, which was, um, if we could have made all these decisions this quickly, like how do we maintain that velocity was the other piece I think that came up, right? So so we we have to lean in, we have to continue to show our business can move forward. And unfortunately during this time, like everyone is watching the stock market. Everyone is looking at how our business is performing and will they be one of those businesses that may not make it out of this because of the fact that they're just not set up in a way that makes that possible. Um, so I think that's the other part. So fear, I think, is a big part or just being able to show continuity of your business was the big motivator uh, to make some of those changes. Uh, with regards to how have they set up their employees now in this new world, you know, shipping everyone a router uh, is not the easiest thing to do or easiest thing to manage uh, unless you have that central ability to manage them regardless of where they are. Similarly, the ability to track how easy is it for my employees to get connected and do their job? Because I'm, as IT even, you know, I can no longer, it's not like I'm going to everyone's house. I can't go to every employee's location and, and help them get set up. So now more than ever, I think the need for the tools to be easy to set up, install, manage, and have telemetry and transparency into is also part of that buying decision. It's what, what bet do I make 
so that I can do this in a way that scales and do this in a way that actually works for my business. Because my business needs is not necessarily a high churn environment. It's actually, you know, in the knowledge worker space, it's very hard to attract and retain that talent. So you need to make sure Mm. you're providing tools that make them successful that they want to adopt. You know, we were talking about, you know, transformations and technology adoptions, those sorts of things. Uh, Do you think security has been taken for granted? Uh, Or a lot of companies have been taking security for granted? Yeah, this is a really... Maybe it's just go home and everything just works like it should or what's been missed there? You don't need security, Josh. I mean, these are just calls, right? Oh, I wouldn't even go to the call. So I think this one's really interesting because I actually had many conversations with various analysts about this topic, asking them how many customers ask you about security when they make a buying decision. And they said a shockingly Mm -hmm. low number. And I asked, Hmm. why is that? I mean, when you think about it, every chat, every call, every meeting you have, this is your intellectual property. This is your conversations about your customers, your finances, your restructuring that you may need to do from an HR standpoint. These are really business critical conversations that honestly can make or break your company if exposed to the wrong people at the wrong time and really um, can can hurt you as a business. So I asked, why don't people ask this question? Well, you know, the, the conversation has really been around How do I pick a tool that my end users want to use? Um, And we're not saying that is not a rightful, you know, criteria that is definitely important. Users want to use tools that make their jobs easier, make them better at their jobs. So of course that is important, but we also need to make sure that every one of those conversations stay secure or you put your business at risk. And I think that's the piece that we, we sometimes forget. And ideally it should not be one or the other. You should be getting both. Um, And when we think about, you know, how important is this to your organization? um, I tell people, think of all the conversations you used to have in your office. And by the way, to get into that office, you had a badge. To get a badge, you had to be a verified employee. You had to go through a ton of process to make sure that you are someone that is worthy of being part of that hallway, of being able to hear some of these conversations over the lunch table. Um, so there is a lot of security built into that entire system that we now forget because we're having the conversation, you know, while we are in our homes or while we are out and about. So thinking about how do you make sure that you still maintain that same level of security and compliance while giving flexibility to your employees so that everyone can work from wherever they want to work from and does not pose any risk uh, to your to your entire um, business and to your own customers. Do you think some of the the resistance to the cloud has been the unknowns of security? Um, so I think there's been a couple key pieces that have been, I think, resistance. So um, security is one that I hear a lot about. Um, but really, when you sit down with them and talk through where is all of the data going in transit? Where does it sit at rest? Who has access to it at rest or in transit? What are all of the keys that are used to encrypt or decrypt this information? Who has access to the keys? How many hops are there in all of that? You can actually break that down and um, easily identify where there is risk or not, right? And I think we we focus a ton of a ton on that at, at WebEx and look through how do we ensure that all of this information is only ever given to the hands that deserve it or really should have access to it? Um, I think there are many terms used in the industry that most people don't understand, and that's where we unfortunately create some confusion as well. 
Um, but I don't think that's the only resistance to the cloud. You know, I've had many customers who have said, look, I've built a telephony practice in-house for over a decade. We are experts and we genuinely believe we run this better than any cloud provider available in the market today. So when you come and tell me to move to the cloud, what you're telling me is you think you can do what we do better and you know cheaper right. and at scale. And that is a really hard transformation because I don't doubt that they do an amazing job. I don't doubt that the ways that they've worked to provide telemetry and um, very fast reaction times to any type of incident. So they're they're taking their time to resolution down, you know, and have optimized it um, for the way they work. So changing all of that and reimagining how you do that on a cloud provider, I think is hard um, for, for certain companies and certain industries. Uh, and it's a leap of faith, right? It's a leap of faith that you will be able to do what I did very well, better than me. And that is, well, that's tough. Um, and so I think mm. that's the harder part of the transformation. It's actually this cultural transformation and knowing that they're, that you're going to rely on people to do things that you used to manage and do in-house yourself. I think that is actually the harder one. Um, the other piece is obviously there is a, a concern around cost. And again, I think that comes back to I've been able to manage my costs, minimize my costs in ways that I can understand. And it's on me if it gets out of control or if I hit a situation. Um, when people move to the cloud, I think there is sometimes assumptions of how much more costly it could be, but really we're not always comparing apples to apples, right? We're, we're comparing maybe, you know, a monthly maintenance cost to a sustained cost over time for the entire life of that uh, set of services. So I think that's the other piece where we have to walk people through. Um, what does that really look like? What are you really comparing? That's interesting. Do you think that this uh, kind of sudden shift for a lot of industries will have an impact on making telemedicine take off a little bit more, right? So I asked that prior to where I am currently, I had done uh, almost eight years in a hospital and moving to a cloud, moving to a remote environment was something that they were very much against. Do you think this changes that perception? Um, yes, this changes the entire healthcare industry in ways that I think people could not have imagined. Not just because, and I, I won't even just talk about telehealth because that's one portion of it, but every way that a hospital will operate, I think will change because we have managed to reimagine all of those things during COVID. Whether it was due to shortage of PPE, and hence minimizing the need to get in contact with people um, unless you knew it was absolutely necessary, um, or being able to do things like triage in doctors who are safely at home um, and minimizing their exposure to the entire hospital altogether, right? So we've looked at bedside management um, and, and care. We've looked at overall remote triaging as multiple providers are working together to find um, solutions um, to situations and everything from like operational challenges of how do I check in people who I don't even know is sick or not yet and, and how contagious they could be to how do I manage, you know, shift workers who are constantly at risk and how do I make sure that we maintain the ability to staff our floor um, all the way into as we are doing research around um, potential vaccines, how do you bring people together in a world where they're not flying or they're concerned about flying and they cannot drive long Long distances to have these very necessary conversations um, that is really worldly impacting right now. 
Um, so I think all of those things have been reimagined and the openness to changing that and bringing video in at the edge of every bed, um, into every doctor's homes, into every provider's homes, uh, so that they can do as much as possible while they themselves maintain safety, uh, I think is, is really happened quite a bit over the last couple of months. So yes, healthcare as a whole, I think will change now that folks are getting care also in a remote fashion and the tool set that is entering the market so that you can do more testing at home. I just did a food sensitivity test from home, uh, you know, and you, and you do this, like you have to prick your own finger and you like put the blood on the sheet and then you send it in and you get back a set of results. And in the past, I think it would have been unimaginable to think through doing that all by yourself at home. And yet more and more is happening at home, either, you know, connected to your phone or some other device that is that is connected to the Internet. And the results just show up right in, in the cloud and you're able to access it from anywhere you need to, again, from your phone, from your laptop, wherever that may be. And now the conversation becomes this this telehealth, you know, video conversation with a doctor that tells you, hey, here's what we're seeing. Here's what's happened. Um, here's what you probably shouldn't have been eating during COVID. So that's what's causing your migraines. Um, and, and here are the recommendations of how you make changes to get healthy. That used to be a hospital visit or a doctor's visit. Um, and now people have realized I can have the same conversation and do the same testing from my home. So why do I need to go to the doctor? So I think everyone is reimagining what is necessary. Um, and as that tooling moves to the cloud and the data becomes more distributed in ways that it is being transmitted and and stored, uh, I think we are all going to change our expectations of how we get care moving forward. Yeah, the new the new surgery outpatient clinic is our bathroom. Right. We're going to get cloud managed <laughs> surgery. I'm fine giving myself shots at home, but I'm not going to like operate on myself at home. That's just too much, Josh. Yeah, that'd be a bit. You guys are yeah. crazy. I can barely feed myself. <laughs> so, Larissa, the topic of how healthcare has really evolved recently is fascinating. Are there other industries that you've seen go through such a dynamic change? I think education is the other big area of change. Um, we are also seeing changes in manufacturing and how you distribute your remote expert. Um, but education is probably more severe than anything else, since there is a lot of concern about children going back to school, um, especially young children who may not be as aware of all the surfaces they're touching and obviously potentially the spread that can happen there. Uh, we have many teachers that have been you know, amazing at adapting to the technology needed to continue to connect with their students. Um, but we are now entering planning, I think, at least in the U.S. Uh, for the fall. And there is a lot of talk about hybrid classrooms uh, where you have maybe a portion of your students in the class and um, another portion that is continuing to work from home. So how do you teach uh, in a hybrid classroom? How do you teach um, everyone at the same time uh, without having to duplicate the class lessons that you do over and over again per child, which is a little bit of what we saw in some cases during the pandemic, um, and, and reach all of your students, especially folks who may not have, you know, the ability to have or 
the resources to have a laptop or a tablet at home. How do you actually reach those kids? What is it? What are all of the ways that you continue to educate um, the masses? And so I think that's where uh, quite a few, I would say, school districts that we worked with have done a great job leaning in, um, rethinking how do you do group work? How do you train your teachers? How do you do um, individual activities that build maybe not your typical math, science, and language, but you know, social skills, like how, what does that look like in a world where you're actually not in a classroom interacting with people? Um, So some really great examples there. We've taken a lot of those patterns and have shared them with all the educators that, you know, we are connected with to take those best practices and really try and ease the load on the teacher who at the end of the day is just trying to teach their students. And yet there's all this technology that they have to adopt uh, that they felt was definitely overwhelming at first. So I think that's the other really big change coming up. So there, there's uh, a lot of, I'll call it copycat software out there. You know, everybody thinks that they can make a video conferencing platform nowadays. Um, we know WebEx is sort of the flagship when it comes to video conferencing. And that being said, what is that you guys see from your perspective coming down the road, right? So what, what's the next big thing that you guys see? So the thing we are all hearing the most is I'm in too many meetings. So shockingly, Mm. what we think is actually going to come next is less meetings, but more effective meetings. So where we invested in AI um, and machine learning and bringing in Voicea as our WebEx assistant really makes it such that every meeting that you have is more effective and useful so that you don't have to have the repeat conversation over and over and over again. So things like automatic note-taking, automatic decisions, action items, uh, being able to come out of that meeting with a list of notes, even if you don't have a note taker um, who can then say, hey, here's a summary of what happened. And you can distribute that to everyone in your team and be able to recollect and relive those minutes of those decisions by watching just that one minute or that 30 second clip instead of having to rewatch the entire 30 minutes or 60 minutes that was a video. So how do we help people save time and be more effective in how they get their work done instead of just having more meetings? So I think that's kind of the next Hmm. direction is really looking at efficiency of work and um, helping people get more done in less time. Got it. Awesome, thank you. Um, I wanna actually thank all my thank you specifically because I feel like we've all learned a lot and the Cisco Champion hosts, Aaron, Andrew, and last, Josh, who I like to tease, but certainly not least, but maybe. Um, <laughs> for those of you at home who've gotten this far through my ramblings, uh, please do subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio. You can find us on the Apple and the Google and the Stitcher and the Spotify and other places on the internet where podcasts beam to your phone via the internet and i'm sure it's totally a beam anywho uh tune in next week but please don't actually try tuning because that's a analog term i believe anyways talk to y'all later thank you